Welcome to Grace Life. My name's Tommy. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, if I have not had the privilege, the honor, joy of meeting you, it's one of your first times to visit. I'd love to connect with you after the sermon. I'll chase you out the door, won't I, Ken? Where's Ken at? Guy in the yellow shirt, right? <laughs> this is a special Sunday for us. It's not, it's not technically a fifth Sunday, but we're going to treat it like one, not with food and a potluck in the back, but we're going to introduce some new members that are joining the, the body of Christ here at Grace Life, and we're going to baptize someone who came to faith in Christ. So uh, stay in your seat after the message, and we'll tell you more about those for now. I want to just pause, and I want us to pray. It is a staggering reality, if you consider it, that all of us gathered here today who are in Christ, you are filled with God's Holy Spirit. Did you know that? It's easy to forget that. You, how many manifestations of the Spirit of God are here today in this room and watching from home. Think about that. We're like mobile temples. The Spirit of God is within us, dwelling within us. That's why what we do when we gather is so powerful. You've got all these different manifestations of the Spirit of God that's filling you, and, and praise is just erupting. That's a powerful dynamic that you won't experience anywhere else. That's why I say what God is doing in here, He doesn't do out there in the same way. Of course, you can worship in private, you can pray and meditate, and you can evangelize, and, but when we come together, that's why the psalmist says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into our bedrooms and pray alone, right? No. Let's go. Let's go to the house of the Lord. We're here, and what is happening today, I'm excited about, man. This is such a deep, rich, powerful passage, and I know I say that every week, but it's true. All of Scripture is profitable. Some is more familiar and, and seems to come with more power than others. I think this is one of those passages. But it's not going to happen if God's spirit doesn't come. And so let's pray. He's within us. Let's pray that he covers all of us and does something supernatural and wonderful and powerful today. And that the enemy would be held at bay. Will you join me? Let's pray. Lord, we are yours. We declare that, Lord, not reluctantly, not begrudgingly. We belong to you. That's where we want to be. We want to be under your care. We want to be in your kingdom. We want to be at your feet, worshiping you, thanking you, living lives that are worthy of the gospel, that are worthy of the calling you put on our lives. We want to follow you in, in faithful obedience and, and flourishing and thriving in every area of our life, Lord. This is a call to that. This is a careful call to watchfulness, to keeping our hearts to thinking more deeply and carefully about the things that we engage in, the things we watch, the things we listen to, relationships that we cultivate, places that we go, the way we process and consume media and entertainment and leisure and recreation. And we need your help, Lord. Those, those ideas can be fraught with peril and danger because the devil loves excess. He wants us to either go all out and get radical and crazy and excessive and then fall into the trap of legalism, Lord. Or he wants us to be antinomian, anti against law, and, and to not give uh, a rip about how we're living our lives and the, and the shape that it's molding us into. So help us to be careful and biblical and thoughtful today. Uh, help us to leave here, Lord, with, with a changed mind and an engaged heart. Maybe... We're going to bring comfort today to somebody who's just deeply troubled and is ready for change and is feeling the condemnation of their sin and guilt and maybe some shame. Maybe you're going to bring help to those who are confused, Lord. They need instruction. They need guidance. Maybe you're going to bring conviction to those, Lord, who are on a dangerous path and they don't even maybe know why they came today or why they came back. They're here and you have a word for them. Do that which only your spirit can do. We trust you. We thank you. 
uh, we ask for your help in Jesus' name, amen. Well, before uh, his rediscovery of the gospel, when he was an Augustinian monk, Martin Luther said this. He said, if I could believe that God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. Back when he was just, the gospel, the good news about Jesus' rescue of us and grace liberating and freeing us from the bondage of sin, that's before he realized that and experienced that freedom, that liberating freedom of the gospel. Uh, the gospel is buried in layers of tradition and ceremony and ritual and just darkness, and it got, you know, Luther rediscovered it in Romans 1, and he did do, he did stand on his head. And look, if that's your thing, you probably want, if you've just rediscovered what Jesus did for you, you probably do want to stand on your head or do backflips or dance or put flowers in your hair or charge hell with a water pistol, whatever it is, and that's okay. You do that. But I, but I want to tell you this. There's something else that you can do while you're dancing, okay? And it is you can purpose to live a life that expresses your gratitude. And did you know that that's what the rest of Romans chapters 12 through 16, that's exactly what it is. It's what Philippians 1.27 says, live a life worthy of the gospel. That's not telling you to earn your salvation. Jesus already did that. That's telling you when you look and you behold who Christ is, what he did for you, all the benefits and the privileges and the joy and the future and the glory and the inheritance that you have because of that, you want to know, how can I express my gratitude? Paul says, follow me. I'm glad you asked. This is what a transformed and a grateful heart looks like. This is, a, this is a, a life of gratitude. That's what the next chapters tell us. Um, and what the Apostle Paul is saying in, in Romans 12, you heard it, Sarah read that earlier. He's saying, if you believe what I've been saying to you in chapters 1 through 11, if you understand and believe everything I've told you about the Christian truth, then you will live like this. The rest of Romans is all about that, especially these two verses. They're actually a really remarkable summary of what the Christian life is and how it should be lived. The power of it, the motivation for it. That's why Romans 12, too, is a, a common tattoo. It's a common wall etching you see in Christian living rooms, right? Offer yourself to God, he says. Now, just by way of summary, just to summarize the last two weeks really quick, I hate reviews. I hate, I hate reviews, don't you? I hated it in school, and sometimes I hate it in church, but it's, it's important because not everybody's been with us through this journey. We looked at, just briefly, what the, well, no, it wasn't briefly, I'm lying, it took two weeks. <laughs> By the way, thank you for praying for me. I know I mentioned sometimes from the pulpit, it slips out, I didn't sleep well, and that's been a chronic issue with me, and I, I went to bed late, I always do on Saturday, just because of the nature of preaching and preparation. I feel so refreshed today, man. I feel like doing a backflip. In fact, I almost did this morning. Yeah, I rolled across my bed and like, I'm refreshed. So thank you for praying for your pastor, man. I'm, I'm man, this is probably going to be a long sermon. I'm sorry. Quit praying for me if you don't want long sermons, right? <laughs> uh, where was I? Where was I going? You're like, oh, boy. <laughs> um, the last two weeks we talked about offer yourself to God. Now, this is a paradox because Paul says present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. That's paradoxical. Sacrifices are dead. You kill them, right? So he's saying this is offer yourself to God, present your body to God, uh, blameless, uh, pleasing and acceptable, uh, present it to God. So you're like, well, wait a minute. If you, when you kill a sacrifice, you're done. It's finished. You leave the temple. You leave it on the altar. 
But not this. The paradox is this sacrifice comes with you and you continually put to death that parts of it that don't belong, right? You're continually reoffering it. And you're like, what is the sacrifice? You are. You're the sacrifice. And you're continually reconsecrating yourself to God and saying, I belong to you. Mine, body, soul, spirit, my whole life is yours and I'll reoffer it to you. That's why Luther in his 95 Theses he says, all of life is repentance. That's what the whole Christian life is. It's a death and resurrection. It's a death and resurrection. If you're not feeling that, you're not living the Christian life. Because Jesus said, deny yourself. It's going to feel like a death, but on the other side of that death is actually freedom. Right? That's what this verse says. Don't be conformed. That's negative. Don't allow this to happen. But on the other side of that is rather be transformed. That's metamorphosis. It's your essential being. Become something beautiful and powerful and wonderful. Be conformed to God's image. So the language that is used here is sacrificial. It's priestly. It's put to death those things about you that need to be killed. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So the Christian life is reminding yourself and putting to death when you feel like this is my life to do uh, with as I see fit. I am my own. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. My body, my mind, my life, my money, my relationships, my recreation, my entertainment, it's mine. Does that sound familiar? Lord of the Rings, my precious. God says, it's actually mine, but I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to help you. I'm not, I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to crimp your freedom. I'm actually going to make you free. Doesn't it say that in the Bible? Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. You know what that means? It means you're really free. If you're holding on to your life, here's the thing, guys. We all value and crave freedom. And we're like, if it's not mine and, and my choices, my everything, then I'm not free. Who are you kidding, though? If you hold on to your life, you're in bondage. Jesus said to whoever you present yourself to, you're in bondage to that person. So you can, you're going to be a slave. Bob Dylan was right. You've got to serve somebody, right? You're either going to serve the devil, you're going to serve yourself, and those are both forms of bondage and slavery. Or you're going to serve God, and he's going to make you free. You're going to be free and experience joy and pleasure and unburden yourself in a way you've never experienced. So that's what this passage is about. But there's some hard things to talk about in here, and that's going to be today's sermon. So buckle up. Buckle up. We're going to do it together, all right? Let's read this passage again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And I love that. I love the apostolic language. I appeal to you. Paul is saying, I come alongside you. I'm with you here. I'm calling upon you. I'm, it's a parakaleo. It means to come alongside and call on somebody. He is gently appealing and arguing with you. He's not saying, I throw down the gauntlet. <laughs> you know, do this or else. He could have, but he didn't do that. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, plural, by all these mercies. I can't think of a better summary of what Jesus has done for you and me than mercy. And it's not just one, there's multiple. If you stopped right now, that's a great reflection. You want, to, you want worship fuel? Trace back just within the last three days all the mercies of God. And you're like, I don't have any. Well, you're here and you're breathing. We got fresh oxygen. It could be like Mars. We could be inhaling toxic fumes, right? Some of you are like, I am. I got mold in my house. Well, but you're still alive. That's a mercy, okay? You're here. Some of you uh, are here, you know, body, body, soul, and mind. I mean, what are... What are, it's so easy to trace God's mercy. He's given you friendships. He's given you a crazy pastor. He's, he's given you a church family. He's given you wonderful relationships and a future that's so bright. Then you get into the depths of the gospel. He's given you uh, forgiveness. He's given you a new purpose, a new identity. 
there's no condemnation. There's glory that's coming. You're going to be restored. This whole earth is going to be redeemed and it's going to be set free from the bondage that we subjected it to in the fall. All the mercies, man, they're just endless, unending. So, oh, I didn't finish reading, did I? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, present by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And we said that, that word there, it means it's your logical, reasonable response. The reasonable thing to, to do for you as you look at what Jesus did for you is to say, this is yours. This is yours. This is yours. This body is yours. This life is yours. Everything I own, every material possession, my family, my friendships, my suffering, it's all yours, God. I offer, like Calvin said, promptly and sincerely, I offer my heart to you, right? Do not, this is the verse we're in today, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now look, we're not going to take this much time for the rest of Romans 12 and for that matter the rest of the book, but these two verses are so important. That's why we took two Sundays for verse 1 and we're going to take two Sundays for verse 2. I'm not going to finish this outline today. We're going to get halfway through point 2, okay? Um, we're going we're to stay in the first half of verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. This is part of your offering yourself to God. This is part of you being a living sacrifice, a killing sacrifice. This is part of your self-denial. It's something that you're called to recognize and resist. In fact, that is the outline today. Paul is calling us, all of us here, new creatures in Christ. Look, here you are. You're a brand new Christian, right? Old things pass away, all things become new. Everything's new to you, but you're not glorified yet. You still got this thing that we call the flesh, the old man, not, you know, a, a senior citizen living inside you. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the old flesh, the old way of thinking, the old habits, the old seductions, the old pull. You know, Luther identified the three enemies of the Christian, the world, the devil, and the what? The flesh. And you still have that. You still got baggage from your old life. You've still got patterns of thinking and living and responding that you've got to put to death. You've got to be cognizant of them. You've got to know that they're there, and those things have to be put to death and renewed. And that's what the Apostle Paul is calling us to do. So he's calling us to do two things. Really, a summary would be keep your heart with all diligence. And again, we've got to avoid excess. This is a call to... Think very carefully about this culture and society and age that we live in. You've got to think about it, beloved. You have to think about this life that you're living, the world that we live in in 2024, and all the different ways that this world is seeking to conform you, to, to, to push you down a pattern so that you become this type of person. And when you become the type of person that the culture and the world and this age is pressing you into, it's going, to be, it's going to be life organized without God. That's what the world, that's a great definition of the world. David Wells said, it's been two decades ago, he said, sin is what the culture does at any given moment to make sin look normal. He said the world, excuse me, the world or this age can be defined like this. David Wells said, the world it's whatever the culture is doing at any given moment to make sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Whatever the world is doing right now 
to make sin look normal? What's the world doing to make adultery look normal? How long do you have? Right? What is the, what's the world doing to make uh, keeping your covenant vows and being faithful look strange? Uh, what's the world doing that makes modesty look weird? What's the world doing? A lot of stuff. Messages from every difference telling you, don't think that way, think this way. So what Paul is doing here, he's telling you, keep your heart. I'm not going to, this, this is one of the most, de- check this out, guys. I have prayed so much about this message because I know what the enemy would want. He would want me to stand up here with an angry face and a clenched fist and scold all of you for being so worldly, right? And give you a list of, of new habits to cultivate and old habits to toss away. And it would be my list. And maybe some of you would, would welcome that list because you're a list kind of person, right? We've got people that give me the list. Just tell me what to do. And we've got plenty of preachers that will, that will give you exactly what you ask for. I'll tell you what to do. I'll stomp my feet. I'll pound the pulpit. I'll yell. Uh, I'll call out everybody and everything. And I'm not going to do that because I don't believe that that would be faithful. I don't believe that would be a faithful exposition and sermon of what this is. I believe what I'm called to do, what I'm tasked with as a pastor is to help you think more deeply about the habits of your life, what you're cultivating, and the kind of person they're making you into. Because I can tell you right now, man, this world wants you to be proud, and it also wants you to be afraid, and it wants you to be insecure. And <laughs> all, all the messages that we get, they're coming at us so fast now with social media and with entertainment and with television and with internet. We have access to all these different stories. It's just a blur. And the devil doesn't want you to think more carefully. He just wants you to, to act impulsively. You're hungry? Take it. It's yours. Don't think about it. Just do it. Right? That's one message that the world is sending you. So I want to be careful the way that I preach this. So if you're looking for a list, you're, the only list you're going to get is some generic application that I want to help you with, okay? That's why we're going to take two weeks on this. Oh, my goodness. What time is it? <laughs> I'm sorry. People tell me don't talk about time. That's a distraction. I apologize. This clock broke, so I don't know how long I've been preaching. Seems like a couple minutes, right? Um, so two, two points here. <laughs> ha, ha. Two points. Number one. Number one. What, what do you do? To be faithful and to obey this passage, number one, you have to recognize. You better recognize, right? Have you ever thought about that word? You say, hey, I recognize you. I did that earlier with somebody. I said, hey, I recognize you. I've seen you before. You know what that word means? Recognizant. Recognizant. <laughs> that means to know again. To know again. So there's, there's like repetitive. And I know the word recognize is not in the passage. I'm not exegeting. But that's what this passage is calling you to do. How can you resist something if you don't recognize it? How can you stop being conformed and pressed into something if you don't recognize that it's happening to you? You have to recognize it. So Paul's telling you, you've got to recognize this. You have to recognize this. How do you do this? Well, you do it with wisdom. You do it with humility. You do it with balance and with moderation. Recognize. James Edwards said this about this passage. Modern society... Beams a collage of intense images at believers and non-believers alike through the media, advertising polls, style, social and materialistic pressure, and ideologies. And he says this, check this out. 
These images are often most effective when they are least recognized. When they're least, so in other words, you're doing things, you're not even thinking about it. You're not even realizing it. Something is happening. You're like the, frog, the proverbial frog in the kettle, right? You've, you've heard that. You've heard that story before. The frog's in the warm, and he's so comfortable. It feels so nice. And then the person turns up the heat, and the boiling point is not reached instantly. It's very residual. It's very slow, very measured. And eventually, you're, you know, you're boiling in the, I mean, you know that, frog in the kettle. You get it. Uh, but this conforming to the world, it only works if you're ignorant, if you're naive, if you're oblivious, if you're not thinking. And listen, the Christian life is a thing. You don't check your brains in at the, at the gate to the kingdom. Your mind, your body, your soul, it's all involved. The way you resist being conformed to the image of this world, one of the ways is you have to renew your mind. You have to use your mind. You have to think more deeply about the activities and the thought process, the, thing, the way you appraise things, the way that you assign value to things. That's what Paul is calling us to do. Because the world, this, and by the way, we'll get to this in a minute. The word for world is not used there. Cosmos, that can be a neutral word. The word is, is aeon, it's age. Do not be conformed to this age. And there's this idea of instability and also temporariness, impermanence. It's like, don't allow this passing, fleeting life that you're living right here, right now, to squeeze you into its mode, to conform you into its image. That's why, that's why the Apostle John in 1 John 2, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And all the things that are of the world, they're passing away. They're pa they're pa it's transient. They're passing away. All the things that this world tells you to hold on to, they're passing away. Just like Babylon. You remember Babylon in Revelation chapter 18? Babylon, it's, this, it's, uh, it's like this capital city emblem of everything that's anti-God. It's, it's organization, politics, the economy, ideology, religion, philosophy, all of that without God. That's Babylon. And it's so dangerous because it's attractive, it's beautiful, it's, it's seductive. The two images that are used there are sexual immorality and fornication and wine, intoxication. So you're being seduced and you're being intoxicated, you're under the influence and you don't even realize it, right? So it's attractive, it's seductive, it's pervasive. Babylon is everywhere. You can't escape it by leaving a zip code. And the last thing it is, it's, it's deceptive. It's deceptive. But the final thing that Babylon is in Revelation 18 is, is that it's finished. The word no longer is used six times at the end of that chapter. There's this giant millstone that this angel from heaven comes down and says, Woe to Babylon and all the inhabitants of Babylon, you know, my people come out of her, lest you share in her plagues and in her judgment. And he throws a millstone in the ocean, and he says, Babylon will be no more. It's passing away. All of its deception, all of its seduction, its pervasiveness, it's going away. And that's why God calls his people out of her, and he calls his people to resist thinking like her and being pressed into her mold and her image. Does that make sense? So that's what Paul is telling us here. And it's interesting, man, this, this, this verse, let me pull it up here. Yeah, there we go. It says in verse 2, do not be conformed. Now, let me geek out. Let me be a nerd for a minute. Uh, the New Testament is written in Greek, and there are different tenses of verbs. And this verb, when it says do not be conformed, it is in the passive tense. 
which is kind of odd. Paul's telling you to do something, but it's in the passive tense. Do you know what that means? He's telling you, do not allow this to happen to you. Do not allow something to be done to you. So that changes kind of how the verse would read in English. It, it calls for vigilance, right? To be watchful, to walk carefully and circumspectly. It's like the world is seeking to do something to you. This, this evil fallen age is seeking to do something to you, and you've got to, be, you've got to recognize it so that you can resist it. If you don't recognize it, you won't resist it. You'll just become prey to it. You'll become victim to it, and then you'll advocate it. Then you'll celebrate it. Then you'll love it. Like John says, don't love the world. And you're like, man, everything, I love everything about the world. So this is illustrated. My, my wife was reading this out loud to me the other day. She's been reading it to her kids. C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Do you remember the son of Adam, whose name is Edmund? And the first time he goes through the wardrobe, and he's in the wood, and he meets the white witch. Now, who do you think the white witch is in, in Lewis's imagination? Satan. It's not the Apostle John. I can tell you that, okay? So he meets this white witch, and of course, she says, what would you like to eat? And he replied, Turkish delight, please, your majesty. And this is where Lewis picks up the narrative. Check this out. The queen let another drop fall from her bottle onto the snow, and instantly there appeared a round box, red with green silk ribbon, which when opened turned out to contain several pounds of the best, the best Turkish delight. Man, I don't know what Turkish delight is. I don't know if it's baklava or something. I like after reading that out loud, I was hungry. Each piece was sweet and light to the very center, and Edmund had never tasted anything more delicious. He was quite warm now and very comfortable. Man, Lewis just gets to the heart of it, doesn't he? While he was eating, the queen kept asking him questions. At first, Edmund tried to remember that it is rude to speak with one's mouth full, but soon he forgot about this and thought only of trying to shovel down as much Turkish delight as he could. And the more he ate, the more he wanted to eat, and he never asked himself why the queen should be so inquisitive. And then this, check this out. At last, the Turkish delight was all finished, and Edmund was looking very hard at the empty box and wishing that she would ask him whether he would like some more. Probably the queen knew quite well what he was thinking, for she knew, though Edmund did not, that this was enchanted Turkish delight, and that anyone who had once tasted it would want more and more of it, and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating it till they killed themselves. Now, Lewis wrote that in 1950, and it seems like it could have been last year this book came out, and we would get the analogy, wouldn't we? How many different analogies can you think of for life in the West in 2024 that would fit that? Keep eating it. Just binge, binge. Don't ever, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Just binge. Just eat more, 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 more. And even later, I don't know, I'm going to, you can read the book. He doesn't even feel well. He's unhealthy. Which, you know, the word, we use the word binge. I've used it. I've done it before. Binge is, is not a healthy word at all. If it describes any part of your life, resist that. Whether you're binge drinking or you're binge eating or you're binge watching or you're binge consuming. That's not good. That's not healthy. And that's not me giving you a list. That's just common sense, right? If you binge something, you're compensating and it's not going to turn out well for you. But we are a society of binging right now. Everybody's into that. And I think that's one of the things that Paul is calling us to recognize. Is that recognize this culture is trying to... to Press you into this pattern. And that's a good way to think about it. That's really what, what conform means. It's, we get the word schematic from it. A scheme, it mean, that means a pattern. I, now, I grew up in the, in the 80s, and I would see my mom and my sister 
maybe you didn't see this, and that's okay, but they had dress patterns. I would see them laying around. My grandmother, she was kind of like a, a, a tailor, a seamstress of sorts. She did sewing, and I would always see these patterns laid out. And you know what a pattern's for? It's like a guide. It's a template. You lay something over it, a piece of cloth, and you trace it out. It says, this is the right way to, to, to move this cutting instrument to get the desired outcome. That's true of dresses. That's true of paint by numbers, right? It's like, I want to paint a picture. And somebody took the liberty, bless their heart, they took the liberty to say, hey, look, we want you to paint this picture and, and use these colors and put them right here. That's a pattern. And it, it goes even beyond that. I used to do this all the time. Anybody else in here? Anybody else in their 40s tracing paper? I love it. I can still do it today. I get, by the way, why they have adult coloring books. I'm not, I'm not, you know, that's not adversarial. So it's, what this is saying is there's a pattern that Paul is calling you to resist conforming your life to the pattern that the world is going to give you because they're going to give you a pattern. And you've got to recognize that. If you don't think, if you're not being careful, if you're not being perfect, that's why the Christian life requires your mind to be renewed, constantly renewed and transformed, right? So you can recognize what, what the pattern of the world is and you can also recognize what God's perfect will is. So, recognize. This is, this is one translation of this verse, uh, the, the message version by Eugene Peterson. I think it's a good modern translation of this verse. He says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Isn't that good? He says, instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. And that's really the difference between the word conform and the word transform. One is schema, schematics. That means a pattern, something outside that you conform to. And the other, transform, is, is we get the word metamorphosis. One is you adapt to this. The other is essential being. It's transformation, right? One is the outside in. If you allow, listen to me, if you allow yourself to be etched into this pattern that the world gives, you will change from the outside in. It will make you into a particular kind of person. And when you realize it, you're going to look at what God has called you to be and what the world has pressed you into, and they're going to be miles apart. The other, the transformation is, you begin from the inside. You renew your mind, and then you're transformed from the inside out. Just like, I mean, the perfect, we'll talk about this next week, the perfect analogy of that is what? The butterfly, the caterpillar, right? It shuts itself up in this cocoon. It's been like binging, I guess, <laughs> binging on leaves for weeks or months or however long, uh, and then this beautiful monarch or whatever, you know, come, comes out of that cocoon. Anyway, um, the, the word used here is not cosmos, but it's, but it's age. It's age, and it means one person define the world in this fallen age like this. The thoughts, the opinions, the maxims, the speculations, the hopes, the impulses, the aims, the aspirations... All of those things that we inhale without thinking and exhale. In other words, it's the cultural air you breathe. It's the cultural air that you and I breathe day in and day out. Paul is calling us to think about it. And one, one, of, the, uh, one of the best definitions I've heard, it's, it's a fallen assessment. The world has given you this fallen assessment or a fallen appraisal system, right? In other words, this is valuable. This is important. This is not. This is good, this is bad, because that's, listen guys, this fallen age is going to tell you how to think about all these different things, how to think about wealth, how to think about suffering, how to think about relationships, how to think about sex, 
how to think about your body, how to think about uh, conflict. If you are in disagreement with somebody, does that mean you have to hate them and vilify them and tear them, tear them uh, down, ad hominem, attack their character because you're in disagreement with them? Or rather, is that an opportunity and occasion that the Lord can give you to sharpen your own belief, to listen to your opponent, if you want to use that word, uh, make sure you understand their position so that you can have compassion and, and, and show them truth and so that maybe you can be humble and, and have your own position be sharper. Because the, the way the world wants you to, to, to treat disagreement is say, no, that's wrong, I disagree, and I hate you, and we can't be friends, right? How do you view wealth? Is that the ultimate metric of success? Is he who accumulates the most toys and the most money and the most, most wealth and the most possessions wins? Or is it you can have all that stuff, it can change you, and then you die anyway, right? Is wealth rather something entrusted to you? Deuteronomy says it's the Lord that causes us to, to get wealth. And it's a stewardship. Some people are, are wealthy. God's, God's gifted them with that. And you're, you're to be a good steward of that. How do you use that? How do you view that money? Is it mine, mine, mine? Or is it rather you can help people? You can support missions. You can support the ministry of the local church. You can help out your neighbor. There's a, there's a fallen appraisal and assessment system that this fallen age and that this world will put in your hands if you let it. It will tell you what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is beautiful, what is admirable, what is, pursu- what is worthy, and what is not. So that's why it says, do not be conformed. J.B. Phillips famously translated this, this verse, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Here are a couple of other times in the Bible when this word for age is used, and I think it will prove helpful. It's, it's like reinforcing what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Let me, let me give you a few of those. Here's one of them, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course. That word course is the same word for age or world in Romans 12. You once walked following the pattern of this world. Did you know that? Before you were redeemed, before you were converted, before you were quickened and made alive, You were following a pattern. You couldn't help yourself. The Bible says that you were dead in your sins, you were held captive to the devil, you were blind, and you were alienated from God. And you were following a pattern that the world gave you and that the devil was controlling. Check this out. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So before you were converted, you were helpless, man. You were in bondage, and you were, you were captive to do the will of the devil and to follow this pattern, this course of the fallen world that you were, that you were held captive in. Here's another one, Galatians. Here we go. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself... For our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That's aeon. Same word in Romans 12. He delivered us from the present evil uh, age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we've been rescued out of this fallen age. And it's tragic, man, if we give ourselves back to it and say, you know what? I think I want to be remolded and go right back to that fallen age that I was in before. 1 Corinthians 2.6 says, the wisdom of this age is coming to nothing. So this is passing away. 
So if you don't recognize it, you can't resist it. So this is a call to recognize this. And here's the second point, resist, resist. The present evil age still threatens those who belong to Christ, so we must really resist its pressure, resist its pressure and, and, and recognize like the habits and the patterns that we are engaging in, the rhythms, they will, they will shape you into a particular kind of person. I think it was, uh, it was Ralph Waldo Emerson that said this. He said, sow a thought. You remember this quote? Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. That means little, thoughtless, mindless liturgies that we engage in every day are are making us into a particular kind of person. And that's one of the best questions you can ask yourself when you are engaging uh, in things in this world is what kind of person is this making me into and is this molding me and shaping me into? How is this causing me to think about the world that I live in? How is this causing me to view the call of Christ on my life to deny myself? How is this causing me to view the urgency of my mission and the desire to Come out from among them and be separate, right? This world is trying to squeeze you. And I would ask you, do you feel its pressure? It's really quiet in here today, again, from last. I know this, is, this, can, be a, this can be a pretty sobering reminder, but man, it's so good. It's so good to be reminded of this. And after 11 chapters where we've been drenched in the good news of the gospel, this is kind of a call to arms, isn't it? This is a call to arms, like this is the way you live a redeemed life. So, the way you view your body, the way you view sex and marriage, is it good? Is it exclusive? Is it temporary? The Bible says all those things about sex and about marriage, right? When we're in heaven, we're not going to be married anymore, right? Marriage was just a picture. Even sex was a picture. That's why we won't need it in heaven. We won't want it. Nobody will miss it, I promise, in heaven. There will be pleasures at your right hand or pleasures forevermore. But the world that you live in makes you to believe that that's everything and that your feelings are your reality. Your feelings are your truth. If it feels good, do it. If you want it, take it. Don't think. Just impulsively respond, react, right? The way you view time. Man, that's a, that is a big one. Is time sacred or is it so fleeting? Neil Postman wrote a book years ago called Amusing Ourselves to Death. By the way, you know what that word amuse means? Muse means to think deeply. Uh is like the negation. So amuse is like not thinking. And I'm not against like amusement. Hey, I like laughing. I like levity. I like amusement parks. Uh, but by the very nature of the word amusement, it's like, ah, I'm just going to engage some in, uh, some, in some amusement. Well, be careful. Be thinking about it. Don't check your brains out. Here's what he said years ago in this book. He talked about, now this, and this was written in 1985, but it's still applicable. In 1985, you would be watching the news, and you know what the announcement, announcer would say? This just in, or now this, and he would say, now this, that's the conjunction that's been introduced by the world to tell you what you're about to experience has absolutely no connection to what you just heard, neither does it have any connection to about your, what, what's coming next. It's like a bunch of just disjointed, disconnected events from around the world that, that are here to entertain and amuse you. He wrote that in 1985, and it sounds like he's describing social media today. It really does. And then check this, check this out, the last part of this that he said, I can't see it there. He said this, there is no murder 
so brutal, no earthquake so devastating, no political blunder so costly for that matter, no ball score so tantalizing, or weather report so threatening that it cannot be erased from our minds by a newscaster saying, now this. You know what most social media is? I'm not ranting. Social media is a very helpful tool. Technology is a helpful tool. There's many Christian websites and social media platforms and influencers, and I'm thankful for them. But I will tell you this, most social media platforms, the most popular ones, uh, they are going to shape the way you think about time and leisure in a way that's not healthy. You're going to have to resist it. I was reading the other day that most videos that go viral that are viewed over 500 times are about 34 seconds. And there's one social media platform called TikTok. It's interesting they use time there. TikTok, TikTok, let's waste it, right? Not all of it's wasteful. Don't want to be legalistic. But the most downloaded videos are about 34 seconds. Uh, Three billion people have downloaded that app out of the eight million people who live in the world. So it's very influential and pervasive. Uh, most people spend 95 minutes a day on that app, okay? So an hour, and, let's just say an hour and a half every day, and each video on TikTok is 34 seconds. Do you know how many now this is that is? That's a bunch. It's about 48 or 49. So check this out. If you're not thinking when you engage in that type of social media, the world is training you to think about all of life as just a bunch of disconnected events that are amusing and entertaining and, and have no deeper meaning at all. That's the pattern that this world is trying to etch into you. Like, these things don't matter. They're just here to entertain you. Just take, just eat some more Turkish delight, bro. Just scarf it down. Don't worry about it. You know? It'll kill you, but keep binge it. Come on, binge it. This is, we're on the age of binging everything. So I, would, I think I would be, is remiss the right word? I would be remiss as your pastor if I didn't tell you that. Be thoughtful about the kind of engagement you do on whatever platform, Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, cable TV, screen time, uh, iPads. It's, those things aren't evil, guys. They're not. They're neutral. They're tools. They're tools for good or for evil. And, and the Bible calls us to be very thoughtful and mindful the way that, way that we approach those. In fact, I, I wrote this down. Yeah, this is, you know the book that I told you about last week? I have no idea how long I've been preaching. I'm almost done. So hang, hang with me here, guys. That book that I told you about last week, uh, Every Moment Sacred, Holy, Every Moment Holy, you know, I told you it had a liturgy for just about everything, and I found one. I found a liturgy for those about to consume media. Isn't that cool? Check, check can I read this to you? Check this prayer out. Let me get that now. You're tired of reading that, right? This is a, it means it's a prayer. This, this, this is a thoughtful reflection before you consume media. And look, guys, I'm not telling you to stop and pray before you do this. I just appreciate the fact that the author of this book recognizes something, you're about to engage in a powerfully shaping activity. So be mindful of what you're about to do. And here's the prayer. And it's a little bit lengthy, but just check this out, Okay. This is the prayer. Let me experience mediums of art and expression, neither as a passive consumer nor as an entertainment glutton, but rather as one who through such works would more fully and compassionately enter this ongoing human conversation of mystery and meaning, wonder and beauty, good and evil, sorrow and joy, fear and love. Tutor me, Holy Spirit, 
that I might learn to discern the difference between those stories that are whole, echoing the greater narrative of your redemption, and those that are bent or broken, failing to trace accurately the patterns of your eternal thoughts, and so failing to name rightly the true condition of humanity and of all creation. Grant me wisdom to, div to divide rightly, to separate form from content, craft from narrative, and meaning from emotion. Guard my mind against the old enticement to believe a lie simply because it is beautifully told. Let me not be careless. Give me right conviction to judge my own motives and what I approve, teaching me to always be mindful of that which I consume and thoughtful of the ways in which I consume it. So this is a call to ask yourself. Now, now let me say this. One of the last things I want you to leave with is this. This, maybe this is helpful, maybe you don't agree with this. That's okay. This is just this is Tommy, okay? Which is dangerous, injecting yourself in this sermon. This is the way I think about things. If you never ask yourself this question about social media, binging, entertainment, leisure, or your gifting and, and your desires and your aspiration in the world, if you never ask yourself this question, is this wise for me? Is this safe? Will this shape me into the kind of person that's going to more seriously and devoutly follow Jesus? And will it make me more humble and obedient and faithful and fruitful? If you don't ask yourself that question, I believe you're being short-sighted, unwise, and, and, and you're, you're, you're treading on dangerous ground. Okay, fair enough. If you answer that question for everybody else around you, <laughs> you're probably a legalist, right? Because, uh, listen, guys, everybody can give you a... a, a Ten Commandments of Life, right? You, sh you, you, sh you should delete your Netflix account. You should delete your Amazon Prime account. You shouldn't have a phone. You shouldn't have a TikTok account. You shouldn't own a television. You shouldn't use modern technology. You shouldn't have a combustible engine. You shouldn't use a walkie-talkie. I mean, everybody's got their list, and you, you look throughout history. There's parts of the United States of America. I think some of the people that you can encounter in, say, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Amish, Mennonites, I think they're humble people, and I think also some of them are mistaken. They put this verse over their entire way of life, Romans 12, 2, and they say it's, you know, that it would be wrong and evil to use this kind of technology. Now, don't, don't think I'm, sl I'm slandering them. I'm not. I'm just saying you have, to, you have to ask yourself the question, but you answer it for yourself with the Holy Spirit's guidance. God didn't call you to police to be the Holy Spirit for every single person because everybody can give you a list. You know, you need to ask God, you give me the list, Lord. You give me the list. And be thoughtful about the things that you're consuming and the choices that you're making. And in other words, if you were the devil, how would you get at you? I think about that all the time. Maybe I'm just a weirdo. I know the answer for me. If I were the devil, <laughs> that's, that's kind of crazy to consider. If I were the devil, how would I get at Tommy Clayton? You know, Tim Keller used to say, that the devil is a musician. You know, if you walk into a room that's got good acoustics and there's an open piano, did you know if you can sing, you can sing C, is C minor a chord? No? Okay. You could sing middle C. That's a chord, right? You can sing middle C if you've got a good voice and the middle C chord on the piano will rattle and vibrate. And Tim Keller said, Satan knows your song. He knows your song. And as I think, if I were the devil, how would I get at Tommy Clayton? I absolutely, 100% know the answer to that. And you probably don't. So I need to be praying and asking God, will you help me resist this? This is my weakness. This is what makes me hit the wall. These are my idols. So this is a call to do that. And 
and closing, how do, how do you go about that? You've recognized it. Now, how do you engage in this resistance? Well, we're going to talk about that next week, but here's a hint. Here's a hint, and we'll close our service with this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth, this age, this world organized without God, the things of this earth will grow, what? Strangely dim. They'll lose their allure in the light of his glory and his grace. And let me say this, guys. You may feel like you are two feet deep in this pattern. Two feet deep. And how in the world, how in the world am I going to get out of this? I feel condemnation. I feel shame. I feel guilt. I can tell you right now, God's arms are open wide. He's open wide. Come to him in humility and repentance and in faith. Let him redeem you. Let him liberate you. Let him cleanse you. And then have your mind transformed. We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these words, for these truths. Will you please help us, Father, to listen to your spirit and how he is guiding us? The, the hard questions, Lord, that you want us to ask ourselves and the things you want us to reflect on and the changes that you want us to make, Lord, we can't make them for others. You, you want us to make them for ourselves. Help us to have those healthy boundaries. Help us to, to want to pattern our lives after Christ. We want to be conformed to his image, Lord, not the image, not the pattern of this world that's, that's transient, that's passing away, that will lead to judgment and disappointment and futility and vanity and emptiness and darkness and death, but your path that leads to life, that leads to freedom, that leads to, to liberation and to joy. Help us to, to ascertain and discern these things, Lord. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.